What's going on, dirtbags? Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, always built for the mission. So, obviously, we all know that Mystery Ranch makes some kick ass fireline gear. They are the best built, the most durable, and the most comfortable fireline pack that we have out there, right? But did you guys also know? that they make a full line of other packs. So if you guys are into hunting, fishing, camping, hiking, just general outdoors, if you guys are looking for a sweet military-style bag, or if you guys happen to be looking for a law enforcement bag, check out www.mysteryranch.com. I mean, hell, they even make briefcases. And they do good stuff for our community, too. They actually uh, are hooked up with the Smoky Generation to help facilitate some of those grants. So... Yeah, they're awesome. Uh, they make high-quality equipment, and it's the best and finest load-bearing equipment in the world. So if you guys want to find out more, go to www.mysteryranch.com. And also, just a heads up for you guys, they got a big thing coming down the line. It's called the Backbone Series. Can't talk too much about it, about it uh, right now, but uh, yeah, once that bridge comes, we'll cross it. So I'm looking forward to it. Check them out. Another sponsor of the show is going to be, of course, Hot Shot Brewery, the premier coffee sponsor of the Anchor Point Podcast, and they hook us up by slinging our merch. So if you guys are looking for one of those hard-to-get Band of Brothers t-shirts or stickers, definitely swing over to www.hotshotbrewery and get yourself some. They also make a full line of apparel that helps support that firefighter culture, that wildland firefighter culture, and they make some awesome coffee. Yeah. Spotfire. Oh, man. Night Shift Espresso. The Sawdust, my personal favorite. Drinking some of that right now. It's awesome. Plus, they got all the tools of the trade to get your morning started right. And it's good coffee for a good cause. So a portion of their proceeds actually goes back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. So it's good coffee for a good cause. Hit them up at www.hotshotbrewing.com. And last but not least, the Anger Point Podcast is brought to you by the Smoky Generation. And if you guys don't know what the Smoky Generation is, well, it's also known as the American Wildfire Experience. It's actually a pretty cool project. Bethany over there, she's the uh, head of that organization. She uh, has collected a, well, over a hundred stories about wildland firefighting here in uh, North America, uh, Canada and US. And it's a collection of all these stories dating back all the way to the 1940s. It's actually pretty badass. So if you guys want a little history lesson or uh see what other people's experiences are, definitely check them out at www.wildfireexperience.org. It's a badass organization, and she actually has been teamed up with Mystery Ranch and Water Axe Pumps to facilitate some grants out there for you folks in the field. So if you guys are writers, photographers, cinematographers, bloggers, if you guys got something cool and you guys are good at it, definitely apply for the grants. There's a, uh, a limited uh, number of $500 grants out there to help facilitate your adventures in the field. So once again, check her out. Check out her organization, the Wildland Fire Experience, or also known as the Smoky Generation at www.wildfireexperience.org. The views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast, episode number 28. Yeah, 28 episodes. We're rolling into the new 2020 season of the Anchor Point Podcast. We're hitting hard. Oh, yeah. It's going to be awesome. Anyways, today on the show, we've got a woman in fire. Her name is Justine Jude, and she just got back from Australia. So she's going to give you the lowdown and the skinny about how to fight fire in Australia, what to expect, and all of that goodness with fighting fire in the land down under, at least from the American's perspective. It's pretty cool. Uh, Definitely a lot of insight on this episode. And uh, yeah, for you folks that are going to be loading up on a plane here, already on a plane, listen up. There's some good tips and tricks and advice, and uh, it'll give you some a basis of what to expect while you guys are down there. So, without further ado, Justine Jude, welcome to the Anchor Point. What's going on, homie? Good morning, Brandon. How are you? Good. Dude, tell me about this pig. What, what's going on with the pig in the background here? Okay, so I'd like to... Let everybody know if you hear strange, like oinking noises, scratchings, or squealings. It's not me. No, I don't have a disorder, but I do live in a house with a mini pig, two dogs, and a fiance. So, <laughs> shout out to my fiance, Gabriel Mann, at Six Footy, S I Q F U T I. I'm sure you guys have seen some of this fire footage. And right now, my small Yorkie, my pig are kind of getting into it. So once again, I'd like to let all you listeners know <laughs> it's not it's not me making the weird noises. So I'm trying to get away from them, but they follow me. Yeah, it's all right. They're cute. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Man, he's got something coming down the road. Can I, can I, can I go public with this yet? Or is this still kind of hush hush? Yeah, it's still pretty like he doesn't, he hasn't started production yet. He's just got like a ton of sick footage of, uh, over the last couple of years of all of the fire footage, um, from like, let me start again over the last couple of years, he's been cultivating fire footage from around California. Um, and I'm sure you guys have some, seen some Instagram posts, um, and maybe even seen them on the line. So he's going to hopefully try and get something together with that, but I'll definitely hit you up uh, when he has like a name for the project and, and, uh, like a date that he's trying to get it out. Oh yeah, man. That's awesome. And, uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to be in this little project as well. Yeah, probably. You know, probably. I, do live, I do live with them. He'll be like, here, babe, hold this drip, drip torch. <laughs> right on, man. So yeah. So tell me about yourself. What's uh what's what's up with you? Well, my name is Justine, last name G-U-D-E, Golf Uniform David Edward for all you fire nerds out there. Um I'm currently on Texas Canyon Hot Shots, coming up my fifth year on the crew. Um, you know, you know how the crew is kind of sucks you in. It's like an abusive relationship. Once you get on the crew, you feel like you need the crew and you just stay there for a long time. So that's me. I'll probably be on the crew for life. You know, <laughs> probably be a five when I'm 50 years old, just trying to wait for that Xbox to open up. You're going to be a but, lifer, uh, huh? Yeah. Yeah. As long as I'm, as long as I'm with the agency, I'll for sure be on the crew or that's a, that's uh, my plan. No, that's awesome, man. Uh, so what do you do on the crew? Like what's your role? What's your position? Oh, so I'm, uh, so Texas Canyon Hotshots, that's the Angeles National Forest. Uh, I am actually, actually, you know what? My detail is over. I was detail squad boss there. And normally I'm just, uh, you know, one of the lead firefighters, one of the lead fives. Nice. Right on. Uh, so wh- what was that experience like for you? Uh, Stepping up to that wow. squad. Oh, it was cool. It was totally chill. Like I've, I've been on the crew for a while. That's actually my second detail in that position. So, you know, it's pretty, um, like a natural 
transition. Everybody's like, oh, you got to get off and go to a different crew and get that experience. And I think they're probably right because you get very comfortable with the folks that you work with and you already know the overhead and the get down and stuff like that. So um, it's like a really, it was a really easy, natural transition, kind of doing what I was doing before, just maybe a little bit more of it, or at least getting paid differently for what I was already doing. Um, so that was a pretty rad experience this year. We got to, while I was in that position, we got to go to Colorado and um, hit a bunch of like local fires towards the end of the season. So we had, um, you know, the little Santa Ana event towards the end of the season. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's all, all I got to say about that. It's badass though. though. I mean, you get to step up into that squatty position, that, that role. And uh, yeah. it's cool. And what you mentioned there about going to another crew and getting that different little I don't know, mm-hmm. 30,000 foot view or so to speak. Uh, it definitely has a role, but now if you do decide to go to another crew, you've already stepped into that position with your, with your own crew. So yeah, be set up for success. It, yeah. And everybody's like experience in that is really different. I mean, I think some crews that you go into maybe have uh, less, you know, new blood come in. They can, that can be a very difficult experience for them, or it can just be like smooth and, and easy peasy. I've seen it go both ways. So uh, yeah. Anyway, so I still, I'm sure I'll go for another detail this, this coming year. So maybe I'll let you know oh, yeah, how man. that goes. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, do you got any advice for like, uh, aspiring squatties or aspiring leads out there in the field? Nah, not really. Um, so that transitions into the next thing I wanted to like, I guess like caveat, I wanted to throw out before we really get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast. Um, so Look, for all you fire nerds out there and just nerd nerds in general who pick apart uh, things that people say on the internet, the great interweb, um, look, all my opinions, they're just opinions. I'm just a forestry technician. So relax. If I say anything false, apocryphal, or I misspeak, you know, it's not a representation of my crew, my agency, or anything else. Just relax. It's just my opinion. So um, I wouldn't even like want to step out of my lane and start giving advice on like future squatties and stuff like that. Um, I'll just kind of stick to what I know, which is you just brought me on here basically to talk about my, um, like experience in, um, Australia. Cause I just got back from a month long trip in Australia, which was super rad, a total like bucket list assignment. Like if I broke my leg tomorrow and I could never go on another fire, I'd be like, ah, whatever, dude, like it's all good. Like I went to Australia I got paid for it for a month. Like it's cool. I could just never fight fire again and just be like, dude, I had a great fire experience or a great fire career, I guess. Oh, I could just hear people through the internet right now, writhing in envy right now. Hell yeah, dude. They should be because Australia is rad. Australia is cool. Uh, my wife and I went down there for our honeymoon uh, two years ago. Okay. It was it was awesome. We went to Victoria, state of Victoria, went down to Melbourne, okay. hung out and uh, hung out with a couple of fire friends down there. Uh, shout out to Jack. Hold on, let me uh, shut my dogs up. Hey, Dobby, shut your mouth. Come here. Good boy. <laughs> so, dude, all right. So, Australia. So, what's it so all about? You went, oh, my bad. Um, oh, you're good. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. No, you're so, good. you went to Melbourne. So, like, I am going to say, like, we were there for a month and I didn't quite feel like I got the full Australian um, experience. Like we didn't go to any of the big cities. I was there for a month. I didn't even get to go to the beach. Uh, I didn't. Yeah. I was kind of like in their version of like big bear, I guess. And we were on the same fire the whole time. 
Um, and they kind of kept us in that general area, which was uh, like central Victoria, which if anyone wants to look at a map, um, like when you first fly in, you're usually going to fly into like Melbourne, which is like off the Tasman Sea is to the south there. And then uh, Australia is a lot like uh, the United States. It's huge. Oh, it's massive. So, yeah. Well, that's the funny so thing think, too, is like, uh, everybody says like, oh yeah, Australia, they refer to Australia as a country, right? Mm-hmm. No MF or it is a continent. <laughs> it takes forever to get across that thing, even in a flight. Yeah. So there's only what, like, um, I think, well, how many around there's like around tw- 20 million and tell me if I'm wrong here. Cause I'm just like, there's like spitting out numbers. I actually haven't, um, Googled, but we're like 20, the 20 million. So I think the amount of people that are in Los Angeles or like the greater Los Angeles County is around the same amount of people that are in Australia. And I could be dead wrong on that, but, um, a large portion of that country isn't like, you know, isn't super populated. It's mostly along the coast where you're going to see a lot of your people. Um, yeah. Well, that's the funny thing too, is like a lot of Australia is uninhabitable. It's just hot, high desert. It's just crazy remote. And all those people gravitate towards the coasts. Yeah. So, I mean, um, so when people are like, Oh, like, so another thing, so I didn't get to go to the beach and I didn't see any koala bears. Like if people were like, did you save koala bears? I'm like, uh, no, I actually didn't see any, to be totally honest. Um, but I guess that's like someone going to like California. (laughs) Sorry guys. Hold on. Hey, (laughs) go in the house. Good dog. Um, it's like someone going to California and being like, what the heck, man? I didn't see any bears. Like, yeah, dude. Like you don't always see them. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? You have to be in like the right place, the right area. Um, or it's like, I don't know, someone going to Alabama and then being like, Oh, I heard people talk so fast. Like my friend went to New York and people talk so fast in the United States. You're like, yeah, this is probably a different state. So, um, I think my experience might have been very different than like what, um, somebody else's experience was, or like maybe a tourist who was able to go to all those like more touristy type de- destinations. Yeah. And that's what I was. I was just a tourist down there. And speaking of which, uh, about the Australian population, I need to, I need a Jamie, like Joe Rogan here. I was like, yeah, Hey, Jamie, do. pull that shit up. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so according to Google, it's 24.6 million and that's okay. off of 2017, uh, census okay. numbers. Right, pretty close. Yeah, so Los Angeles County. And have, what is Australia? Australia total is twenty four point six million. And what's um, Los Angeles County? Yo, Jamie, pull that shit up. <laughs> <laughs> Piggy, hold on a second. Let me go pull that up. Population of LA. Let's they say see. pigs are really smart, so I'm going to teach them how to Google stuff. See, just in the city alone of Los Angeles, according to 2017 uh, census, is going to be uh, four million. So, Greater Los Angeles County is going to be way more than that. Obviously, gotcha. Okay, yeah. so wrong. So wrong on that. But point being, it's not a ton of people in that big old country. Um, There's not, especially with how how large it is. Right. Yeah. It's. It's a, a huge continent. And I um, cut you off when you were trying to give your like fire shout out to um, like your, your friends that you met or fire friends that you met in Melbourne. So go ahead with that. Oh yeah. Jack, Jack is a, uh, he's a volunteer down there and he also uh, does search and rescue as a full-time job down there. So he flies around in uh, outside of Melbourne there uh, at their, their tanker where the tanker base is pretty much. And he mm-hmm. goes and does search and rescue rescues, uh, people off of like ships and all sorts of crazy shit. So shout out to Jack. 
It sounds jacked. That sounds cool. Way cooler than what we do. Yeah. But so Australia, now you were on what, which fire were you on down there? Mm. Okay. So Australia, I'll start from the beginning. They, so there had been rumors like, so Australia is burning, right? There've been rumors are like looking, they're going to send people to Australia, but you know, there's rumors that they were going to send people like our folks to the Amazon and you know, that didn't happen. So it's like, I wasn't taking it super seriously. And then a resource order did go out and it was like looking for, I think it was like people, maybe crew boss, um, qualified engine boss qualified or like heavy equipment boss. So I'm like, rad, dude, sign me up. And then they're like, Oh no, they're only looking for like captains and above. So I'm like, Oh, that sucks. Cause our agency is more of like a qualification based agency, not so much like a rank based, but whatever. So that was, so I'm like, thought it was just like another like random rumor. They're just looking for like, you know, you know, IMT people. It didn't really affect me. Yeah. Um, and then, so I think it was the 31st, I'm at the station. We're working out. It's like in the morning and, um, like the phone rings and whoever answers the phone is like, Hey, Hey, stop working out. Come in here guys. Like I guess the resource order went out, uh, for Australia. And this time they're only looking for people who are crew boss qualified and anybody who's interested, I need to get like a list together. You need to have a valid passport and, um, you have to be crew boss and let me know in the next hour. Cause we're going to get it out to, um, one of our chiefs. So me and one of my buddies, shout out to Matt Tarango, um, off the crew. We're like, Hey dude, you down, you down? Like, heck yeah. So we both, you know, both have our passports and throw our name in the hat. And then, like that was that. So the next day was New Year's. I had that day off. So I was um, actually driving to Cambria with my fiance and um, the phone uh, rings and it was like one of our chiefs. She's like, Hey dude, I just have one question. Do you want an aisle seat or a window seat? And I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, aisle seat or window seat. You're going to Australia. And I'm like, shut up. He's like, no, for real, you're going to Australia. Check your email. And I'm like, all right, pack cool, your well. shit. Get, get your shit together. You're going. <laughs> yeah. You're leaving tomorrow. <laughs> Um, so of course all the emails are going out to our government email, unless, you know, you're, I don't have access to my government email and we're not and like a lot of people were on leave. So like, luckily he called me just joking around and I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Let me call, um, like one of our guys who's the chief of party and like really confirm this. So, um, Dude, that's yeah, awesome. that's like a dream come true though, because it's, it's weird the way they do it though. You know, we're, we're standardized on that 14 day assignment up to 21 mm-hmm. here domestically, but internationally they just do 30 day assignments. It's like a solid month that you're gone. Yeah. And we can definitely get into that later. Cause that was one of the really, really cool things about it is how they broke up that time. And I'm sure they did it like a little bit for us, you know what I mean? Trying to make like, cause we're not only going over there as like a firefighting crew, but we're also kind of going over there as liaisons. So they tried to make our experiences best, like the best experience it could be. But just in general, the, their like work to rest ratio is way more hospitable than what we do here in the States. Oh. But, um, we can get into that like a little bit farther down. Cause it's definitely, um, something I would like to talk to you about. It's like, it's really different. It's really interesting. And it's pretty rad how they do it over there. Let's talk about it, man. Just send it. Um, okay. So like, so the way our thing was structured so that we had six days to get our shit together. Um, and we were leaving. So they told us on the first pretty much. And we were out of there, um, on the sixth, the morning of the sixth, uh, we were there for 30 days. So we, uh, left, uh, sorry, uh, January 6th came back February, February 5th were there for 30 days. And in that 30 days, the, the way they had it structured is we had five working days, like five days on the line. 
one day off, another five days on the line. And then they give us two days off. And then five days, one day off, five days, one day off. So, so it's kind of like a rotating schedule. Yeah. So rather than going like 14 and then getting two days off, you're getting five, one day off. And you know, you're basically like working for two weeks with the day off in between. And then you get your two days off. Um, That sounds actually pretty nice. (laughs) And you were saying hours in a day though. What about hours in a day? Cause it's, that's wildly different too, right? So we work 16s, right. And we're doing like the two to one work to rest ratio. They're working between 10, sometimes 12, they can work 16s, but if you work 16s, it's kind of like you have to get it signed off by like your sector boss. It's kind of like, dude, if you're in the middle of a burn operation, you guys really can't leave. Like they, they don't really care to do it. And then the next day they're going to make sure like, whereas with us sometimes, like let's say we go late on a burn or whatever, whatever. And it's like, yeah, we're supposed to make sure we get our two to one. But like, sometimes like you're like, ah, oh, we're going to make it up on the backside or whatever. It doesn't always come down like that, especially with drive time. Like, like, you know, how it is like, we're not always getting like that work to rest ratio and even two to one on a hard shift, man, that's like, you know, not a ton of rest that you're getting. Whereas with them, they were very serious. Like if we came off the line a little bit late, like we weren't getting up until wheels rolling until like eight o'clock the next day or something. So, so you don't um, have to wake up at the ass crack of dawn and like hustle to get all your shit crammed in a bag and then go out to the line negative they were like way more chill about that and very serious about adhering to those safety standards and those like uh, work arrest standard standards um and i think it's like partially and i'm just talking like totally from the hip here like i can't you know i can't like speak of like the whole their whole reasoning behind it but like it seemed like in general like australian australians are like way more chill in general um and then definitely like their fire culture is a lot more lackadaisical like, so briefing would be at 0800 and we'd get there at 0800 and like, we'd be like, all right, well, sometimes that shit starts at like 815 and sometimes it's like 830, sometimes 845, sometimes it's eight o'clock. Like you never really know. It's like not really that big of a deal. They're not like too amped up about it. Um, and I mean, I think it's awesome, dude. Be like, everybody like relax. It's, it's like a really great, uh, tempo. Um, but that being said, that might be like one of the reasons why, it's like they're having a harder time getting the handle on a fire. Like, um, we came into a couple of situations with like, with a, we had pretty long drive time getting out to the line and, um, you know, with the later briefing and then the drive time, to the line. And by the time we were like starting to like take a, a bite out of our assignment, like starting to really like hit the line, it would be like 12 o'clock. So that's only giving you a very short period of time before your peak burn, um, period. And then, you know, we're maybe like getting chased out or whatever. Like you really want to like establish what it is you're trying to do operationally before your peak burn period. So, I mean, I think there's give and take with all different, um, like styles. So we're very like militaristic, like briefing is at zero six hundred. We're out on the line by like seven thirty. like we're already like totally engaged by seven forty five. Um, so that's like a lot harder on the firefighters, I think, but maybe a little bit better for, um, operations. No, I get it. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, that's the thing though, too, is, um, I mean, it's a slower pace and everything like that, but this is entirely specific to Victoria and there's multiple States, obviously in Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, uh, Western Australia, et cetera, and so on. But I'm pretty sure all of those different States have different modes of operation. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like, if you're, you're, you're an R5, I'm an R4. We have two different ways of operating. It's just different ways of doing business. 
Correct. And and I talked to like some of the boys off like a, a different strike team or not strike team, a task force that went out and they were in, I think they were in New South Wales. So they said that that was like similar uh, tempo. I, I talked to them. That's what makes me think hey, maybe it really is just like an Australian thing, like them being like more laid back culturally, or it just might be like, they don't have the resources that we have. They so, don't. And that's another thing right. too. They don't have this huge green machine or yellow machine that's going out there in a militaristic fashion. Like we, we were a paramilitary organization. I was talking to you about this off, off uh, recording, but yeah, man, it's, it's a huge operation over here. And those guys, one, they've never had a catastrophic fire season like this. So it's like, how do you approach the unknown in the face right. of catastrophe? You know, it's, it's, how do you wrap your head around that? You have to learn. Yeah, no. And it's like when you have, so for us, like, let's say we're going to try and get a piece tied in or, you know, this ridge line blown out or whatever. It's like you more or less have all the resources that you're going to need to make that happen. And we want to get it done in two operational shifts. All right, cool. I'm going to need three crews, two dozers, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And you're going to be able to get all that stuff. Like when you don't have that, like you are the crew to make it done, like to get it done, you're a little bit more like laid back about it. You're like, all right, we're gonna take a bite out of this. It might not work. And then we're gonna have to pull the back to this other ridge and we'll try that one. You know what I mean? Like, you're just like, you can only do what you can only, what you can do with um, like the amount of resources that you have. But I think that was part of why um, like that more kind of laid back approach to it. Well, then again, too, on top of that, I think there's a compounding factor there with uh, not only equipment and resources, but the sheer exhaustion of the crews that are already there. You know, the the home team, they're already exhausted. Plus, mm -hmm. the fire behavior down there was just, I'm just going to say, it's fucking insane. Like, what do you do? I mean, you find eucalyptus yeah. fires down in SoCal yeah. and that shit rips. It doesn't matter really what you do because it spots forever away. And I right. know that they that were experiencing the same shit. Yeah, that was like something crazy. Like, so in our, like when we first got to Melbourne or like the training center outside of Melbourne, they gave us like a day long, um, like introduction and kind of briefing before we, they sent us out to like our various different fires. And that was one thing they went over. So you have the eucalyptus trees, they shed their bark. And I know everybody's looked at the eucalyptus trees, that bark is kind of like um, thin and it comes off in long sheaths and kind of uh, gathers around the base of the tree. So that bark acts as like a paper airplane kind of it gets lifted with the wind or like a convective column. And they said that they have like 30 kilometers spotting. So 30 kilometers, that's, that's super far. Like, you know what I mean? We're looking at what I do the conversion there. It's like 17, 18 miles or something like that. Um, you want to do that conversion, Jamie? Yeah. Jamie, pull that shit up. <laughs> so that's 18.6 miles. There you go. So that's pretty long range spotting. So at that point, there's you're just kind of like, wow, you know, pretty long. That's that's a fucking universe away yeah, from what we're, you know, we're like. Oh damn, that's a mile spot. That's pretty bad. That's crazy mile long spotting. But yeah, so um, that's that's one thing that they're dealing with there that we don't necessarily have to deal with. So, um, that, dude, that's insane. But as as far as like fire behavior, what did you see down there? So um, I'm only speaking for you know my assignment. So it was cranking for maybe the first two weeks that we were there. And then they got a lot of rain that really put a hurting on the fire. Like they got like six inches of rain. So looking at SoCal, our season ending event is around two inches. They got six inches. So 
you know, they definitely had some hot spots left and um, like a ton of hazard trees and a ton of cleanup to do. But on the portion of the fire that we were on, and I think a large amount of like, um, cause I think that system moved through the majority of that, um, of the fire area all throughout the country, uh, kind of put a squashing on the various different fires that were burning. But for sure, for the oven, the ovens complex that we were on, that was pretty much out, out after the first two weeks. Um, and as far as fire behavior, like initially when we got there, we got there during, um, like, I guess it would be like their version of a Santa Ana event. So the winds were cranking. It was super hot. It was like right, um, right before like a thunderstorm thunderstorms hit later that night. But during that day, it was like exceptionally hot, like maybe 104 degrees winds were blowing 15 miles an hour, um, like 15 to 30 miles an hour. Um, and you could see that like the, just the column starting to move and pick up and, the next day when we hit the line, there was like a long lag time where like operations was kind of like, ah, like, okay, we're going to be honest. We don't really know where the fire like moved to yesterday. Like this is where it was. This was the stuff, the containment lines we were trying to put in, but like, we're pretty sure that like, you know, they're talking about that long range spotting and whatnot. Like, yeah, it's, you know, it's probably over containment lines and it's probably all over the place. So give us another like 45 minutes and uh, we'll get back to you. So we're like, uh, okay. Like that's literally what operation, the operations sector chief said. He's like, oh, like, so he went in the office with like some other, um, like bosses from the team. And then they came back out like half an hour, 45 minutes later. They're like, all right, cool. And they started like breaking it down a little bit. So, um, like as far as fire behavior so yeah let's get into like the whole like cutting line aspect of it and i'm gonna um, tell you right now i know that cutting hand line down there is not gonna work that's like a, a super futile effort i mean if it's i mean you'd have to be very specific of where you put in hand line but <laughs> trying to like pinch off a head or something like that yeah it's not yeah. gonna happen dude yeah especially with like once again like the resource the resources that you have it was pretty interesting like a lot of our hand line so all right. When we first started going in, you know, we're from Southern California. We're going to get in there. And, and there was like a couple of false starts where we're trying to like, um, just kind of piece, like figure things out and piece things together. So then by like the second, third day, we're like actually getting there. We have a good plan. We're going to take a bite, start putting in hand line. And like, of course, like we're going to go direct, right? Cause that's what we do. And then at this point, it's not like the fire's not crowning. It's not like ripping fire. It was only like that first day when they had that wind event. Now the fire settled down. It's kind of doing its thing. It's like a nice understory burn. Um, like even though it's just an understory burn, it's taking off all the ladder fuel, so they don't really have a lot of any like reburn potential. Um, and but it's flanking pretty actively. And so we're like, oh yeah, we're gonna go direct. And then we had a liaison from that agency that was with us for like the first five days, and then they uh, like cycled out it. Like every five days, they gave us um, they switched back and forth between two different uh, liaisons. So. Shout out to Andy. Shout out to Pat. For the first uh, during our first five day period, we had this guy named Andy there, and uh, we're trying to like, okay, cool, we're gonna pick this up direct. And he was kind of like, whoa, 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 like, what are you guys doing? We're like, you know, well, going direct, bro. Going direct, what do you think? Bro. <laughs> yeah, what do you think, man? This is what we do. <laughs> yeah, man, this is what you brought us here for. We're from Southern California. Suck it. No, we didn't say that. We're like, oh, we're going direct. And he was kind of like, um, yeah, we don't, we don't really do that here. We're, what do you mean? Like we, like the ovens complex isn't into it. And it's kind of like the state of Victoria doesn't really go direct. That's not something that they do. So then er, rewind. So to them, a crew is two people. So if you're going to send a crew out, you're going to send out two people. Yeah. So here we are like a 20 person workforce 
like that was already like a little bit like mind boggling. Like they almost didn't quite know how to utilize us. It took them a couple of days before they like started putting us in the areas that like, you know, like if this is what, you know, an area that 20 people can do some good, not like some little scouting mission or tie in like this little piece right here where you can send two people. So they're not used to having like such like, you know, manpower for lack of a better word. Um, and then second of all, uh, oh, the, the fire flanks super actively. So we're, they're like, yeah, we don't really like go direction. It's more of like a, a lateral approach. So they'll pull off maybe, I don't know, 300, 400 feet and then start pu- uh, plugging in line. So this went back and forth a little bit. We actually did try, you know, uh, I don't know if I should even be saying this, but yeah, anyways, we did try going direct like a couple of times and just picking it up right off the edge. But the fire flanks like between the the fire flanking so actively and between the fact that it was just us it was just 20 people they kept kind of outflanking us so then we're like oh copy so maybe that's why you guys don't (laughs) this is why you guys don't go direct so then we did do that lateral approach where we pulled off like 400 feet and we start plugging in line and you know what it actually did hold when it got to our line just that the way that the fire burns even though it's flaking really actively just with like a normal like six and two cut, you're like, oh shit, like it, it is actually holding up off our line. So um, that was kind of what we did like, you know, the first uh, two weeks. We, once they learned how to utilize us and they would just put us in areas that were like, all right, cool, we're going to punch in from, you know, this road system down to this creek or, or whatever it was. Yeah. Well, that's a funny thing too, because like you'll see uh, on certain Facebook groups, <laughs> I'm not going to drop names here, but you'll see all these guys with just utter arrogance coming out of their mouths. It's like, why don't you guys just send down like 30 hotshot crews or 30 hand crews and we'll just punch direct. We'll get that shit taken care of in a day. I'm like, no, it's no, you won't. It's different. It's totally different. Yeah. And it is like really like apples and oranges. If you have those resources to be able to get 30 hotshot crews, you're like, yeah, dude, rad, like rad, like give me 30 hotshot crews and you know, three type ones and you know, a fucking type eight, like a DA dozer and we'll get it done. But like, if you don't have that, like you're obviously your, um, your tactics, your tactics are going to be correct. Yeah. Speaking so, of dozers and stuff, uh, do they use a lot of heavy equipment down there? Yeah. That was going to be like the next thing, um, I got into. So, um, it's definitely heavy equipment country. Like we were in one of the more mountainous regions in the whole country. And there's some steep, gnarly parts, but it wasn't like, like SoCal gnarly. It wasn't like, you know, like being up like on a fire near Mammoth or something like that at all, at all. So the majority of the country is pretty flat. Um, and they're way more lackadaisical with like, so for us, like, we're not going to drop iron in our park. You know what I mean? Like I was, uh, on the Ferguson fire and like they like did eventually let us drop iron, um, in the park, but they were like super sketched out about it. Like, so in Australia, even though we were in like some of their like natural reserve areas, they were totally fine with like blowing out lines. And what I mean by like a dozer line, I mean like a drivable dozer line, like where they graded it. Like these heavy equipment operators were all like savages. They were such good operators. And like, you know, due to the fact that like it just wasn't that steep, steep, um, they just they just blow um, out everything with a dozer line. And then they drive uh, their, uh, most of the vehicles or actually all the vehicles that I saw, um, the fire apparatuses were uh, like four by capable. So that's kind of their get down. Um, they'll blow it out with heavy equipment and then they'll just drive up there and work kind of off their truck, which is like uh, maybe like one of the reasons why they don't carry fire shelters. 
because for the most part, like they're just working next to their vehicle. Um, so that's, that's like a really like different like, kind of way of looking at it. So they have like arduous and non-arduous. The majority of their fire crews are, or like fire personnel are non-arduous. So that's means they're just basically, you know, There's right off their truck. Right. Yeah. So the volunteers seem to be like the CFA, which is the County fire authority. Um, that's probably like what your buddy did. I believe that's, so that's what Jack like, is. Yeah. Yeah. So then the FFMV, which is a for, forest fire management in Victoria, they're like the green guys. They're kind of the forest service. That's kind of how I looked at it anyway. Um, they, uh, they were like, they had some permanence and then the majority of their workforce was like that eight month. So kind of like with us, we have some permanence and then a, lo- a lot of our workforce is seasonal. Um, but the, all the FFMB were paid that I was talking to. So it's kind of like, I don't know, a volunteer Cal fire organization sort of. And then the forest service okay. is the way I was looking at the two agencies. And now they have, uh, like what I, I believe they call them rap crews, uh, like, uh, the repellers, they have like hell attack repellers and all that other stuff too. Yeah. And we were, so where the ICP for the fire was, was at like the, one of the repellers, uh, bases. So yeah, shout out to the ovens repellers. Those guys were all super cool. And those guys were arduous. So like that, so going back to that arduous, non-arduous, a lot of the fire personnel is considered non-arduous. They're just working pretty much right off their trucks. Like blacking out the line is what they call it. Um, and then you have certain arduous crews like the repellers that actually can get dropped in there and they're going to punch in line. Try and catch them um, while they're small. Yeah. Or just different pieces. You know what I mean? Like, so like majority of the fire, you're going to be able to get like with heavy equipment, but of course there's going to be those areas, even in pretty flat country that you're going to need some kind of, um, like, you know, a hand crew basically. And they were those guys. Um, so yeah, like I said, like at first they were having, not really knowing exactly how to use us. Cause even like a repel group is only like a couple people going down off like a, a like one mission or whatever, like six guys, maybe. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at 20 guys. Um, they didn't quite know how to use us, but once they figured this out, figured it out, they kind of bounced us from like area to area of having to tie in dozer lines. So like, all right, cool. We'll, we'll drive you up to the top of this dozer line, but obviously this dozer line can't get down into that drainage. So you guys are going to get into that drainage tied into that, wet Creek. And then on the other side of that Creek is going to be like another dozer line or whatever. And that's kind of how they used us. Uh, pretty similar tactics around here though. I mean, it's just different, different modes of operation, I guess. Yeah. And definitely like more equipment use than, than you're going to see here. Which is And, and that whole, dr- um, yes and no. Like you think it's good to use more equipment or not use more equipment? Uh, I mean, it depends. I mean, it's, it's obviously an impact to the environment when you start dropping blades. Uh, it's a huge it detriment, is. but if you want to stop the fire, I think, uh, at least domestically here, I think dozer, yeah. especially out in the desert, man, dozers. Totally. The dude, if you can get a dozer up there, like, dude, that's like being on a crew. Like that's like the sweetest sound I've ever heard is that chink, 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 chink of a dozer. You're like, fuck yeah. Like you're cutting line, <laughs> cutting line, cutting line. You hear that dozer, you know, it's coming to save you. You're like, yes. Oh, um, I know that so feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So heavy equipment for sure is the way to go if you can get it in there. But like, I just want to like, like putting in a dozer line and like putting in a dozer line that people are going to drive up or like, it's like a whole different thing. Like they put in the, the dozer lines, not only like as containment lines, but also like, so the fire personnel can just drive up there. So right. that was pretty rad. That's pretty wild. They're putting in roads practically. 
yeah, like sweet ones too. Like way better than just like our normal, like recreation. Your, your like, typical, oh. like shitty poof dirt, moon dust, yes. dozer line around here. Yeah, not at all. So that's wild. So what about like firing operations too? Do they put a lot of fire on the ground over there? Yeah, they do put a lot of fire on the ground, but unfortunately I can't speak to you about it because I think they put any uh any fire so they gave us like these drip torches to have in each of our vehicles and i didn't get to use them so i can't speak on it but that does seem to be like a big thing that they do once again owing to the fact that it's sparsely populated and they don't have a lot of fire personnel like dude if you can just fucking go a lot like you know along a road system and just light off the road like hell yeah dude like how rad is that but we didn't we didn't get to do any of that that's, um, that's the thing oh, though. That, that's the thing though. Is like burning a burn show is like one of the best ways. Yeah, you have to give up acres, but I think it's one of the best yeah. ways to actually just stop a fire. You know, it's totally it's effective. So totally, I, if you have those acres to give, then yeah, that's the way to go. Oh, absolutely. But what about like uh like interface? Uh, did you happen to work in any of the wildland urban interface down there? No negative. Um, it was like when we first got there we were staying in the town of Bright and that the town was going to potentially be impacted. They had the whole town evacuated. Um, and if that's kind of like, I don't know, the only way I can describe it is like maybe like the town of Big Bear or something like that. So it was kind of a really cute um, mountain town that people would go from Melbourne and like the larger cities that go there to like vacation and ski. And then in the summertime, um, they have like a river that goes through there, like wine country, like, you know, different wineries and stuff. So super cute, um, huge tourist season. And it's like terrible because like, you know, they evacuated everybody. So these shop owners and these, um, um, yeah, people who own the stores that really depend on the tourist industry, everybody's evacuated. And it looked like the fire was cranking like that first day that we, we hit the line or that we got there with that wind event. But uh, the, the city was never and the town was never impacted. So I didn't do any like wooly, no wooly stuff. Um, one thing that was pretty crazy is you hear like uh, the way they do evacuations, they don't have mandatory evacuations the way that we do. Like you're not going to have like a cop, like come bang on your door. They do it over the radio and it's like super gloom and doom. They're like, all right, this town, this town, this town, we suggest you guys leave for the towns of bright, blah, 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 blah. Like it's too late to leave, like take shelter in your house. These are the steps that you need to um, follow if the fire like hits your house, like make sure all your windows are closed. Like, and we're going to reiterate, if you are in this town, this town, this town, it is too late to leave. Like, you're like, Oh, whoa, that's so strange. Like, yeah. Right. So, um, that's that they gnarly. do it over there. Yeah. They do it over all the radio stations. Like when the fire is kind of like cooking and you're like, if the fire is blowing up, like you'll hear that on pretty much on every radio station you listen to, it'd be like little music and then I'll stop and it'll be like, our version of like a public service announcement, but it's kind of like, yo, like the world is ended. Everybody is going to burn to death. I hope you're out of here. If you're stupid enough to stay, then this is what you do. (laughs) Holy shit. Yeah. It was intense. They don't mess around, man. That's crazy. Jesus, dude. So, Oh, go ahead. I just wanted to go over like some terminology differences. Yeah. That's going to ask you about lingo. Yeah. That's like a big thing of all the people that are going to go there just because yes, they speak English but a they're speaking english with a different accent and there's just like some differences um or differences in terminology rather that like if um other strike teams are going they'll they'll cover that in their first um like when you first arrive there uh they'll cover all 
the terminology differences. They'll give you like a little sheet of paper and like they'll, you know, just some of the weird things that are going to throw people like having to drive on the left hand side of the road. Um, and a lot of the vehicles are stick shifts. So you're going to be like shifting with your left hand rather than your right hand. That was kind of like a watch out for sure. Actually learned how to drive stick um, there, like on one of the dirt roads. Like I, I didn't know. You never drove stick. a stick before here domestically? So you um, learned in Australia where dude, everything's on the opposite side. <laughs> dude, so Gabriel, Mr. Man, he tried to teach me, but he has like a brand new Jeep. And like I... So of course, like stalled it out. And I was just like, you know what, babe? Like, I just want to save our relationship. And like, how about I <laughs> don't burn the clutch out of our, you know, your brand new Jeep. And I don't really care that much. Like, it's cool. I can die not knowing how to drive stick and, you know, I feel fine. And then boom, you're like thrown into the thick of the shit and you have to drive a stick on a Hilux or something like that on the left side yeah. of the road. <laughs> they didn't make, like, they weren't making me. I was like, cool. Well, I'll be in the back of the, I'll be in the back of the seat. I won't be driving. But like, uh. One of the guys there, shout out to Briggs. Uh, like he was kind of like on a slow shift and he was like, you're going to learn how to drive stick. I was like, all right, rad. <laughs> Send it. <laughs> That's Send awesome. It. So yeah, anyways, lingo. Uh, so there's a major difference in terminology, firefighting terminology down there. Yeah. So there's some like some big ones that are different. So like, so what we call an engine, uh, they call tankers. Okay. Uh, what they would call, um, like, a, or whoops, sorry, what we would call heavy equipment, they're calling plants. Plants? Like plants, like a P-L-A-N-T-S. Huh. Okay. Like a heavy plant or something like that, like a tree is a plant. Huh. Okay. So that's what they call dozers, et cetera. That's what they call dozer heavy equipment. Um, and then uh, like a sector, their sector boss would be like our division. Okay. What about IC? Um, so those were like, there's like a couple of ones that were like totally different. You're like, what do you mean a heavy plant? Like what's supposed to heck's a heavy plant, you know? Mm-hmm. But then there were some that were kind of like close enough that if you mumble, like we're all understanding each other. <laughs> um, so like we'd say snag, they say stag. Stag. Okay. Stag. No, we say a, a um, IAP, like incident action plan. They say ISP. IS plan, situation plan, incident situation I, plan. That's what I was thinking. I can't remember what I actually said for it. That's what I, that's what I came up with too. Huh. So like, those are like some ones or like they're incident commanders or incident controller. So okay. like, I feel like if you're just like talking quickly enough and you mumble the way that I do, like, ah, you can pass. Like we're all speaking <laughs> the same language. Um, it's like speaking Spanish to someone like who's fluent, but you don't speak very good Spanish or very well at Spanish. Like, yeah, dude, I, I do the same shit. <laughs> yeah. Just, just mumble and speak quickly. And then sounds like, you know what you're talking about. Ah, you can get by. <laughs> what else is different? Oh, so like another big one, like that definitely tripped a lot of people up is uh, the metric system. So for, so they're using meters. We're using like feet. Yeah. So it's about three meters to one foot. Um, they use hectares. We use acres. It's like two and a half acres to one hectare. Okay. Um, they would use kilos. We use pounds. So. I don't know if you like spend a lot of time at the gym or you're a drug dealer, you'll know that conversion rate. It's like two point, <laughs> <laughs> it's like 2.2 kilos to one pound. So okay. that that's going to be like, Oh, that's a little different thing that you just kind of have to get used to. Like um, even for like road signs and stuff, it'll be like, okay, 30 meters before this turn off. So you're going to have to, uh, you know, get used to doing that in your head pretty quickly. Well, that's like uh, I mean, what there's three feet in a meter, right? Ish, ish, yeah. So that would trip me up too. 
I like yeah. when I was down there, I was doing the touristy shit down there for my honeymoon, of course. But uh, yeah, that, that totally messed with me. <laughs> Although the conversions. Did, did you drive while you were down there? Hell no. I was in okay. Melbourne, dude. It was like, I mean, it looks like San yeah. Diego, Melbourne. Yeah, it, yeah. it looks exactly like San Diego. Um, and I was just like, yeah, I'm not renting a car down here. I, I just don't know the traffic laws. I don't know what the sure. hell I'm doing and everything's backwards for me. So they do go over just like the different like signs, signage and just different uh, like who gets gives way on a roundabout and those kind of things they'll do that in that first day long briefing that they give us. But yeah, it's definitely a trip. Even, um, just like when you go to cross the street, like which way, like you're going to look so you don't get hit by a car. Yeah. You have so to like, like retrain you're, you're, yourself. Correct. You're everybody looking the wrong way, like idiots. Um, so they give us, um, I think it was like a 12 different vehicles. Like they were a combination between like slip ons, which are like kind of like, um, type sixes and then like these Hilux, Hilux, uh, trucks. So, um, it's kind of like similar to any crew that's ever been to like had to fly, fly out somewhere. You go to Alaska, you go to region eight from California. Like a lot of time you'll just, um, rent like a bunch of vehicles. It was kind of like that. So shout out to all the really good drivers, um, that were driving on the wrong side of the road, shifting with their opposite hand. Um, cause there was no driving incidences and there was like a fair amount of four buying too. Cause Remember what I was saying about, um, like they would just drive up the dozer lines. Yeah. Like, so it was pretty like gnarly, uh, for buying that we were doing too. And nobody had an incident. So shout out to everybody on that safety issue. Oh yeah, man. That's uh that's definitely one way to like, get your ass in a crack, I guess. Uh, if you're doing something completely out of the norm like that, that's pretty wild, dude. Yeah. And they say like the most accidents happen when you're on your way home, you're like done with your shift, you're tired. You're like, all right, cool. I had a good, safe day. I'm going home, about to eat a steak. And then that's when you're on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> you kind of revert back to what's normal. Yeah. That normalization thing, you know, it's uh, we get, we get stuck in our ways. That's for sure. Well, yeah, for sure. On that one. Um, so, so what about like creepy crawlies and other like crazy shit that you saw? Like Australia so is known. Crawlies. Yeah. Australia is known for some very venomous, let's just say fucked up creatures. <laughs> yeah um like i don't know like I, they interviewed me about that and i was i didn't know that she was filming i thought it was gonna be on the newspaper so i'm like oh she'll take like tidbits so there i was talking about some giant spider like an idiot i was like oh my god it was so big it was like rawr, idiot and then that like ended up like uh like in the paper um there was like a lot of spiders um they have like the huntsman spider uh god that's the only one i can think of right now but yeah then a bunch of spiders and they all look like they could like eat your face not just with their venom they just look like aggressive like these spiders were buff yo like they're gonna they like fuck you up they don't want to bite yeah. you they just want to like, stick a knife like, in your back and take your money yeah and they're like like choke you out break your leg or something and you're like all right cool I'm definitely staying away from you um <laughs> a fair Oh man, the spider's like, like you in the wrong hood, son. <laughs> yeah, hey, check yourself. Um, uh, fair amount of spiders, um, definitely venomous snakes. Uh, you that was like just like lots of flying bugs in general. Like not as crazy is in Alaska when you're there and they have like all the killer mosquitoes, but there was just like tons of flies and like smaller little flies. I don't know what they're called. So not as bad as Alaska where you actually really might need like one of those bug um, masks, but it was not like great either, depending mm -hmm. on like the wind system. 
I didn't see anything too, too crazy. Like I just saw like some cute little um, marsupials. I saw a kinda, which was um, like their version of a porcupine. Yeah, I saw that picture. Yeah, cute, like such a little cutie. Don't tell, don't tell my dog Chip. He'll be like super jealous. I was hanging out with him. (laughs) Um, I think a lot of the things that are gonna kill you are gonna be um, in their ocean, and I didn't get to go swimming. So you got the sharks and the jellyfish and the stingrays and all that. So. Um, I didn't get to experience any, any of that. Uh, it, you know, oh God, depending on what region you're in, you're going to see gnarly bugs everywhere in the state. So yeah, it's off normal. It yeah. It's pretty off normal. I didn't think it was too much worse than the different places that I've been to in the States. Yeah. But, At least you guys aren't spiking out down there though. Right? For the most part, spiking out down there. I mean, I'm yeah, sure it happens point. occasionally. So they don't really spike out. It turns out. So I was asking the the repellers about that because, like, you figure repel in. You know what I mean? Like, you're gonna yeah. try to spot, probably spike out. Nope, they don't do it. So um, I'm cool with that. I hate spiking out, but uh, and we were <laughs> we may or may not have been hoteled up the whole time. But you know, I'm just trying to give back to the economy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you gotta sleep, man. So can't can't complain about that. But hey, so like a couple of little differences for anybody else going down there, um, like just in like their operations or their like the line cutting. So I sort of touched on the fact that they don't um, go direct. And once again, that could be state to state dependent. So that was the state of uh, Victoria. That's not really something that they're too into. Um, the way that they utilize aircraft is very different than, than what we do. They're they way more really- aggressive with it, aren't they? Yeah, their aircraft, like, they'll definitely send them in there um, to do their thing, but they don't communicate directly to boots on the ground. So we're really used to being like, you hit up your division, you're going to be like, hey, like, I need uh, whatever, like, a bucket, a bucket-capable ship over here to the blah, 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 and divisions roof, and they'll send you a ship, and then you walk the ship in, you lay the panel out, you tell them what you need, you get, tell them, you know, the area is clear, you're, you're discussing, or you're communicating directly to the aircraft that's working in your area. They don't do that. Like if you need a ship in your area, you hit up your sector boss. Oh, <laughs> Yorkie's getting lit, dude. He's acting hard. The other Yorkie He's acting, acting like hard. a fool. Yeah. So, um, I'll go inside. So yeah, you communicate, you communicate to your sector boss, hey, we're going to need a ship in this area, blah, blah, blah. And then it goes all the way up the, the chain of getting a hold of the aircraft. But at no time do you actually, or like anybody on the ground um, is actually talking to the aircraft. So you order aircraft and you kind of have to get out of the way because they're not talking to you. Yeah. It's not like you get a, a line clearance or anything like that from division at all. Yeah. And if they, if they make their drop on the wrong area or whatever, you have to let your division supervisor know, or your sector boss know, Hey, they dropped in the wrong area. I'm going to need it like another, you know, quarter mile up the hill or whatever the, the directions are. So that's a little bit convoluted because now it's going through like all these different steps when really we're used to just being able to talk directly to aircraft. Yeah. So didn't love that portion of it. The other portion I didn't really care for was like the way that their radio communication works. So their radios don't scan. So you only have two channels. You have the fire ground channel, which is kind of like um, tack. And then you have command. So you can switch back and forth. And it's really simple. Like way that part was cool that you don't have to like program your radio. It's not like 
like you're not like flipping through tones and shit nothing like that you just basically it's like a three number five six seven is command and four four one is um fire ground so you just have to switch back and forth if you want to scan if you want to listen to both command and um and tack you have to go back and forth the radios don't do that so that was kind of tough because you do need to hear information on both. So while you're in your truck, you can have, you know, like the trunk radio or the truck radio on um, command and then you can have the mobile on, uh, on tack. But when you're out on the line, we're like, okay, well, how are we going to mitigate that? The, the way we ended up breaking it down, we'd have two people together with two radios. One person had command and one person was listening to fire ground. Kind of like isolating your channels. Like that's what I do when I'm rolling up to an assignment. Like, uh, if I'm I, doing IA and I'm the mm-hmm. IC, I'll just mm-hmm. isolate all my radios. I'm like, all right, crew, give me your radios, radios now. Go. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's yeah. like a little bit more comfortable. Like to me, I'll just kind of be scanning everything and listening to everything. Um, so at least I'm getting the information that's on command. And if something's like, Oh shit, like something's going down and it sounds like they have a spot or something like that. Like, maybe I'll like switch off like crew or switch off tack and just listen to command, but you still have the capability to listen to both. Whereas here you actually need two people, two separate radios to be able to get like that information. That's wild, man. And does that change? Uh, is that similar to like uh, new South Wales or anything like that? Or is that just pretty much Victoria specific? No, I think that's just like their, their radios. And I'm not a radio nerd. It, some of the guys um, on the crew were saying that the, these radios actually have the capability to be able to scan but it's, you need to activate it. Like, you know, when you bring your radio into the, the tech guy or whatever, yeah. it needs to be activated. So the, the radios in the configuration that they were in, like that was, they didn't scan though. Like wasn't a thing for them. That's mm. a trip, dude. I don't, I, so that, that makes me uneasy. Yeah, that was tough. I mean, we mitigated it by, you know, having the two people together, um, listening to like the two channels at all times, but, um, that it was tricky at first. The other thing that's a trip is they don't have call signs. They, mean, call like, each other by- they don't have like tender 33 or, you know, engine, no. whatever. Nope. You say, Brandon, it's Justine. Uh, hey, I was thinking we we're going to need a couple of helicopter drops on this piece to cool it off before we get the guys in. So it's He's like, hey, Justine. So- <laughs> it's super <laughs> informal. That's funny. Oh, man. Yeah, it's just different. It's informal. And the way they talk on the radio, like they're just, it's way more of like a conversation than like us. Like we're so uptight. Everything's all like, you know, yes, sir. Copy like, or whatever. Like, yeah. and then they're um, like, Hey, yeah. Okay. Brandon, that sounds good. You have a good day. You have a good day too, mate. Like that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's super yeah. bro on, <laughs> on the radio. Yeah. It's because it's just like smaller. So you kind of know each other. Yeah. Hey, um, I'm actually going awesome. to go once again. Yep. Did I lose you? No, I had to mute you while I grabbed some water, but I just didn't want it to sound like I was peeing, you know? Oh, you're good, man. Hey, so for all those listeners not peeing, just getting water out of the the Brita, relax. (laughs) That'd be a little awkward considering we're FaceTiming right now. (laughs) (laughs) They don't know that though, right? So, all right. So here's some facts and figures for you. Um, So comparatively speaking, uh, Cali last year, I believe they only had burned, uh, it's California alone. I was just shy of 300,000 acres, right? So that's 2000. We're talking about fire season 2019. Yeah. 2019. So I believe just a little bit South of 300,000 acres. Okay. The entire United States for the 2019 fire season burned 4.6 million acres. Okay. Most of it was in Alaska. Gotcha. Check this out. To date, I just did some some Jamie shit. 
and looked up this, but uh, twelve Australia has twelve point three five million acres burned this year. Okay, so it's a lot of ground. Yeah, it's a ton, man. And I mean, uh, how big was the fire that you were on? Uh, this is some facts that I should have gone together for you, so I don't sound like an idiot, but I have no idea. It was big. <laughs> it was big. It was huge, man. That's crazy, man. But yeah, I mean, you're on one. I mean, relatively small. Well, it was a large fire, but it's like a smaller thing of a larger picture. So Australia's been having a hard time this year. Definitely one of many. Um, But like they got some good rain. So just like with us, you referenced uh, fire season uh, 2019. So that was actually like a a pretty slow fire season for us in Cali. We were out of our drought. So like the five years leading up to that, it had been like bad to worse, to extremely terrible, to like horrendous. And then we got some rain. So they are, seems kind of like a similar situation or towards the end of like their, I think it's like a four or five year drought. So um, hopefully they'll get like some really good rain this year. I know everybody's like really worried that I spoke to like the locals and stuff like that because they're not even in their fire season yet. Like all these fires broke out like a month before their normal fire season gets bad. Well, yeah, it was like in their spring pretty much. Right. Which shit started really hitting the fan. Right. So hopefully like that was it. Like it made its push and you know, that those rains are going to put a damper on everything. Additionally, like I'm assuming it's kind of similar to us. Like when you burn those areas, like, every forest has like that boogie area that you're like, okay, this area hasn't been burned in the last 50 years. Last has no burn history. Like everybody's kind of holding their breath for when this area lights on fire and you get the big one in that area. Yeah. Once that area burns and you don't have to worry about the area for another, you know, 10 years or whatever. So yeah, but then um, again, the aftermath of those burns, when those catastrophic fires come through with the rains, especially, I mean, we've seen it on the Thomas fire. We've seen it on the Woosley fire, those mudslides yeah. and all the other constant, the long-term consequences of these fires. That's what's kind of shitty. Yeah. Total nightmare. And, you know, just as well as like the cost to the economy and like all those small, um, they seem to be like, once again, I'm, I'm probably speaking out of my lane cause I was kind of in smaller towns and stuff. I didn't go to any of the big cities, but they seem less like franchise driven than we are. So the, like a lot of the stores are like, mo- like more like grassroots or mom and pop stores, mm-hmm. like coffee shops, like small breweries, stuff like that. They weren't, I didn't see like a lot of big franchise stores. So if you depend on tourists and you depend on like the local economy, um, I think large portions of the country got hit really hard. And that was another thing that I thought was super rad about um, like the fire that we were on, I think culturally in general, because I did hear a lot of things over the radio is they were making a real push to try and get people back in those areas, spending money in those areas um, like the government was mm-hmm. and the agencies were. So like um, rather than so they, they bounced us around to two different um, hotel areas because they were trying to give back to the, the local economy in the city of Bright. So like they had us for like a, you know, a portion of our trip, they were spending money in one, um, in like one place where they were giving money to like one hotel owner and then they split it up and they put us in another area. So they're giving money to another hotel owner and just trying to revitalize that local business. And that's so good. same thing. Yeah. That's, yeah, a, that's, that's a good awesome. thing. Well, yeah. And they were and doing it consciously too. Yeah. Like same thing for, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. If they're consciously aware of that stuff uh-huh. and the actual government is trying to push more revenue back yep. into those local communities. All right. And I've been to Australia and I, I'd, I'd agree with you in the fact that mm-hmm. it's not very franchise esque economy uh, based. Right. Uh, I mean, unless you're in those bigger cities, then it's a little bit more so. But yeah, these people depend on tourism to make their livelihoods. Right. So 
um, like, you know how they normally feed you at camp. So there's a portion of the time where they would feed us at camp, but like for like the first, like, like five days and then a portion of our next five days, they would actually feed us at like local restaurants, just trying to like, once again, revitalize that that community. And the fact that they did it um, on purpose like that, I was really impressed with. They weren't doing it just for like a cost effectiveness. Like it was costing them less to feed us there than here. Like they were doing it like uh, with a lot of intention. Um, I was impressed by that. And I was also impressed by the fact of like, that they really seem to like take such good care of their employees, like the fire um, services themselves. So like we talk a lot, like we as in the forest service talk a lot about like family first, but I feel like, you know, that's primarily, primarily lip service. and you know, I'm sure that will change in like, you know, the next 20 years or whatever. But right now I don't really feel like it's family first. I feel like it's work first first. I mean, they're trying to put those fires out. They're trying to meet whatever the agenda is for their forest or their district or their whatever. Um, and you do suffer as a firefighter because you are putting in those long hours. It is super hard on your family. Our divorce rates are very high. Like suicide rates are up there, like blah, 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 you know, and that's kind of opt normal. So it's interesting to go to another country where that really isn't opt normal. Like when they talk about safety and safety first, dude, they mean it. Like that really is like a priority. Safety really is a priority. Uh, we already touched on like the work to rest ratio, like um, getting a lot more rest. Uh, if you do a uh, night shift, you only work four nights, so four shifts, and then they give you a day off because everybody knows like, you know, night shifts are tough. So that's something we know. Oh yeah, yeah night shifts suck, but it just is what it is. You know what I mean? Like you're still going to do your 14 days here in the States. Um, I thought that was super cool. I think they get like six weeks off. So whereas like with us, like if you are, I mean, depending on how long you've been around, you're either in that six, that six hour category, or that eight hour category. So you're obviously like the longer you've been around, you accrue more time off, but they're right out the gate. Their employees are getting six weeks off. No shit. So, yeah. So think about that. So just overall, like, um, and I talked to a lot of the people on our task force, and like things that really stood out to them, like different things that really stood out to them. And that was a big one that almost everybody touched on. It was like, wow, like their emphasis on safety and just um, like mental, emotional, whatever, um, spiritual health of their employees was like way more of a precedent than it is here in the States. Um, that, that was like pretty cool. And I think there's a lot to be said about that too. Um, you know, there was a lot of lessons learned from, uh, I believe it's called Black Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I know that that was very catastrophic for, uh, for the state of Victoria mm-hmm. and it killed a lot of people. And I think there was a lot of lessons learned from that. And unfortunately, all of their policies come out of a tragedy, but they've learned from that and moved on. And now they understand how to treat their firefighters better right. and what's effective. Like as do ours, like, uh, you know, a lot of our lessons learned come out of tra- uh, tragedies also like, you know, like, the whole two to one work, uh, work to rest ratio. Um, you know, sometimes it does take that to make, you know, you figure out what is and isn't a priority, but, um, I don't know. I definitely enjoyed it. Like I would, I would move there. Honestly, I would move there and work there. It's a cool, it's a definitely a cool, uh, country. I, I, I enjoyed the shit out of it when I was down there with my wife, my wife enjoyed it too. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that did terrify me though, cause it was always in the back of my head. I mean, it's January when we were down there mm-hmm. or December or something like that. I forget which month it was, but you know, it's a peak of their summer and we're going through the Yara Valley, going to the wineries and we're going up through the, uh, 
with Eskrin Falls, and that's going to be out towards like the Twelve Apostles. And it was beautiful, but I swear to God, dude, it gave me anxiety looking up those hills and seeing the fuel loading and yeah. knowing what <laughs> <laughs> knowing what eucalyptus does in a fire situation. Uh, I'm like, holy funny, shit, this is a nightmare. <laughs> Hey, Brandon, you're ruined. You can't even like enjoy your vacation. You're like, I wonder how long it would take me to hike up the top of that ridge and how many guys I would need to blow it open. And uh, my wife, I was like it, mentioning dude. shit to my wife and she's just like, dude, shut up. <laughs> you're on vacation. Brandon, shut up. Leave the boots home. Oh, oh, and with that boots, that's a big one. So this is state of Victoria only or specific. I think, I don't know if any of the other states are like this. So they don't let you operate a chainsaw. Um, like in regular whites. So we all brought our whites. Yeah, dude. So they have like three different vendors that they use and a steel toed boot. Oh, it's like Canada. Horrible. So these boots were like, they weren't like, you know, 12 inches or 10 inches, eight inches. Uh, what's our minimum? Eight, eight inches, right? Yeah. Okay. Not eight inches. I believe these boots were six inches. So I don't care about how high they go up your leg, but they are steel toed and not comfortable at all. And not like, good grip either. So these boots are not made for hiking, which are just made for like welding or something like, um, working in a shop for sure. So there was definitely, definitely some blisters going on. Hey, say hi to Gabriel. What up dude? Oh, that's, um, wild, yeah, man. that's why so there's some blisters. So we started out just with Sawyers, um, had to wear their boots. And then I, I don't know if like it was, they came down the line. Oops. It turns out everybody is supposed to be where everybody who's that arduous or out on the line has to wear those boots. So that was pretty funny. Like I said, a lot of blisters. Yeah. I can imagine, especially seal toes. They probably get hot too. I know they they're, got, yeah, super hot. They're hot and they're just not made for hiking. Like they don't have grip or give. So like you start trying to get up, um, like, you know, the start trying to get up the hill or you step on something like even a little bit slippery and you definitely end up on your butt. Ugh, fucking gnarly. That's wild, man. It sounds like you had a pretty good experience down there though. I mean, do you got any uh, other advice for the next round that are going down there? I've seen resources in people's hands, so hopefully you can give them some, uh, some advice when they're on their flight. Yeah, dude, just, uh, like enjoy yourself. People are really friendly and rad. They're really happy to have us there. Um, and like if I had one regret, it's that so for our two days off, they put us up in um, the town of Aubrey, which is cool. Like it was a cool little town. It was only like an hour, 15 minutes from the incident that we were on. And I think that's why they did it. They didn't want us like driving for eight hours or whatever. Um, and we were contemplating just taking the train down to Melbourne, like down to the coast so we could get some beach time. Um, and we decided not to do that. We're like, ah, we don't want to be traveling for too long. Um, so yeah. I regret that. I feel like if you do have the opportunity, if you, are in a situation like we were where you're kind of like on the same incident the whole time. Um, and you're, you know, I got to know that area really well and all the great parts about that area. Um, if I could do it again, I would make sure I at least hit like the coast or one of the bigger cities, at least for like a day or whatever. Yeah. Uh, if you guys get a chance to, uh, definitely check out the great coastal highway. That's, that's yeah. pretty badass. but you guys are going down there for work. So, uh, right. Yeah. But I you mean, get those days off, you, you get know those days I mean? like off. You get those two days off and they'll provide for you. Like the, they did like a wonderful job, like supplying us with meals and great lodging and just, you know what I mean? Like really just kind of rolling out the red carpet and like, you know what I mean? So like shout out to everybody who set that up. But, um, yeah, I would have taken, if I could do it again, I would have taken the train, just hopped on me and my two buddies and just at least spent like one night in Melbourne on the coast. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a cool town. And it, like I said earlier, man, it looks exactly like San Diego. Like if you got onto St. Kilda beach and look back, it, it looks exactly like Coronado Bay. It's crazy. 
All right, cool. So you're saying I don't have to take another 16 hour flight. I could just like you drive just down go to San, San Diego. Diego. <laughs> right. It's different though. I mean, the food in uh, Melbourne, holy crap, dude. It's so good. Is it good? Oh man. Is it yeah. Everything you could ever want. It's just like, oh yeah, there's like a Ethiopian food place there. Nope. Excellent Thai food, Indian food, everything. Right it's cool. That's yeah. kind of what I liked about the country in general is like, like that's why I feel like I, I literally could live there because it's like same, same, but different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's not like, oh, I moved to Bali or something where it's just like everything is so different, different like religion, different language, different money system. Like they Culture. have an Aussie dollar. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like similar enough that it's not like a huge culture shock, but it's different enough that it's still rad. You know, I don't know why this just struck me, but speaking of food, um, what were you guys eating on the line? I mean, what's their, their like fire camp meals or what is like, what do they eat? They, I'm pretty sure they're not having like U S military issued MREs in your pack. No, cause they don't spike out. So they don't do MREs or, you know, that's kind of what the vibe we got. Um, they just have like regular, um, fire camp lunches. I think I like posted about it. Um, just, you know, typical sandwich and snacks, uh, some differences. <laughs> Yeah, but not too bad though. Like the bread is really fresh. Um, some differences they put ketchup on some of their ca- sandwiches. Weird, and they put <laughs> butter butter on all their sandwiches. Also a little bit strange. Oh, um, yeah. Breakfast wise, eat a lot of poached eggs. A lot of like they like cook their tomatoes and they put them out there. It's pretty good. But they have like this stuff called Vegemite. I, I don't like know it. If you tried that. You like it? I like weirdo. it. I'm like right, one of those cool. weirdos, dude. I'll send. I'll send you a jar of Vegemite. <laughs> I I brought a couple. I brought it for like my niece, and she's like, "Oh, like I've had this before. This is gross." It's not that bad, yeah. And you throw it on some toast, and you're good to go. That's what they were trying to tell me, but yeah, I wasn't super into it. But yeah. <laughs> oh, and hey, one camp that we went to that actually had like um like a literal express espresso bar. Wait, what? Like, swear to God, like real like, coffee, not like some. Like, bullshit coffee no like full-blown espresso bar and then i think that was just like local people just coming like a local coffee shop coming to help out but they were there for like the week and i was like oh my god i'm into it like if every fire camp was like this i would be such a much nicer person like i learned a lot about myself like i think i'm bitter and angry all the time it's not bad i just don't have good coffee so like i start out my day with like a cappuccino or something i'm like good morning good morning everybody <laughs> you're super happy so yeah oh, man. it's like a great day you know yeah. Well, that's a cool thing too. It's like, that's what I noticed when I was down there doing my tourist bit. But, uh, I noticed that the people of Australia, they're very hospitable and they're super friendly. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, that, that whole idea of Southern hospitality. Like if you go to Texas, people are yeah. just super friendly and hospitable. It's the same mentality down there in Australia. It's, it's badass. So right. shout out to the Aussies there. You guys are awesome. Yeah. Shout out to Aussies. Shout out to Andy, Corin, Emily. Can't remember her last name. Uh, and all our other friends that we made down there. Um, I really would like to go back just to visit. So nice, man. Yeah, definitely go. It's fun. So what do you got next for your fire career? What do you got plans on going on, uh, your next adventure? Oh, uh, you know, like season's going to start and then what a, all my plans are going to go out the door. Um, I'm just finishing up with some training right now and, uh, going to get started, get ready for the season, I guess. Nice, man. Well, good luck to you. I hope that, uh, you have an excellent fire season and I'm very envious. I'm just swimming in envy right now that you got to go down there and hang out in Australia for a month. Cool. Well, Brandon, it was nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on. And I'll definitely be um, talking to you about Gabriel's uh, documentary when it comes out. Hell yeah. I'm excited, man. You already gave a shout out to your homie, Hero Mentors. I uh, always like to give that an opportunity. So you got that covered. But uh, where can we find you? 
Um, you can find me at Texas Canyon Station. Come hike with me. No, I'm joking. <laughs> or yeah, I'm not joking. <laughs> Come on down, boys. Come on. Um, challenged. Or uh, J underscore just Justine. Okay. So it's J underscore J U S T J U S T I N E. Uh, on Instagram, and that's really the only social media platform that I have. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah. So if you guys want to find her and uh, maybe are you open to answering questions for those, that, that next round of uh, folks that are going down to Australia? Yeah, absolutely. Like once again, not a, like an SME or anything. Um, the only information I have is kind of my own opinions of what I saw, but yeah, hit me up, DM me. Um, like I already talked to like a couple other people going on various different, um, on various different task force. Uh, so before I leave, I'm going to leave, leave you guys with maybe the best advice or the best tidbit that I have given so far. They don't sell chew in Australia. Oh. So Ooh, that's oh, important. That is important. Oh. And cigarettes are like 37 bucks or Aussie dollars. So it's not, obviously not, you do the conversion. So like an Aussie dollar is like, Hey, Jamie, look that up for me. Yo, Jamie, I think it's like 87 cents on the dollar or something like that. Um, but anyways, it's expensive. So if you want to buy cigarettes down there, expensive. And if you want to buy chew down there, well, that's just too bad because it'll sell chew. So make sure you bring enough chew. You're just going to have to declare it. Um, it shouldn't be a problem though. Um, the other thing, so like, yeah, things are a little bit expensive out there. A Nazi dollar is like, like you said, it's less than an American dollar. So it sounds like it's, they'll be like, Oh, it's $40. You're like, Whoa, that's super expensive. So it's actually not quite as expensive. Um, if you have a Chase Bank, get the Sapphire card because they don't um, charge you, uh, what is it, uh, the conversion fee or whatever, which is 0.3%. Not conversion fee, but the exchange rate. Thank you, exchange rate, which is 0.3%. So make sure you get um, a Sapphire card so you don't have to pay that. Mm, what other little tidbit can I give you? Oh, so like you can get an international plan um, and it's kind of pricey. So if you have like Verizon, like I think initially I got in like, like for $70, I could send a hundred text messages, uh, speak for a hundred minutes and get free test text messages. Uh, no data though. So the best way to do that is you just wait till you get there. Um, you go into like any of their like stores, like a big store there is called Woolies um, and you buy a SIM card. So like it's going to be like a, yeah, it's going to be like, and then you just pay online for however much. So it'll be like 30 bucks and then you can get like 30 gigs or whatever. Um, you're just going to be texting people from like a weird international number. That's the only like difference, but like for like the bang for the buck, unless you're like government phone, like, so some of our captains and stuff like their government phone, um, they got like a, uh, uh, international plan. Um, so they didn't have to worry about it, but for all you just like users that are going to be paying out of pocket for, um, like any data that you use or any text that you send, definitely get that SIM card. Hell yeah. And, uh, one word of advice that I've heard through the grapevine is also you're going to be exposed to a lot of media when you step off that plane into the, uh, airport. So don't get shit faced on the plane. Correct. Correct. Make sure your makeup is done. You know, your beard is on fleek because you're going to be talking to a lot of people. And that was kind of rough, honestly. Like when I first got off the plane, I was like, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I wasn't um, ready for this. <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> well, shit, man. Well, Justine, dude, thanks for the advice. And uh, thanks for stopping by the show and giving us the lowdown on fighting fire on Australia. It's definitely a unique experience. Uh, and like I said, I'm swimming in Nevi. <laughs> awesome, Brandon. Thanks for having me. We'll definitely be in contact. Hell yeah, dude. Take care. Bye.
All right, there you guys go. Episode number 28 is in the books with Justine Jude. Justine, dude, that's a hell of an experience, man. I'm I'm stoked for you that you got to go down to Australia. So, and uh, the experience that you shared on today's podcast, well, I hope that helps out uh, future uh, people that are going down there. So, to the rest of you guys that are listening, if you happen to be going to Australia, uh, definitely have fun. Good luck and uh, bring back some awesome memories. There's a lot to be learned about how they uh, fight fire down there, and there's uh, a lot to be learned in other regards about how they do business down there. So, Justine, once again, thank you very much. Just want to give a special shout-out to all of our followers here. Uh, Keep tagging us in your posts. Uh, If you guys want to swing on by our iTunes and drop a review, that would be much appreciated. And, uh, yeah, spread the word. If you guys uh, are in... I don't know, a Facebook group or something like that. Share the word on there. Just get that exposure. Uh, this thing is going to keep going. So hopefully here over here at the Anchor Point Podcast, we can help as many firefighters in their future endeavors as we can. That's the whole goal and the mission. You guys are awesome. And uh, one more shout out to our sponsors. It's going to be Mystery Ranch, Hotshot Brewery, and the Smoky Generation. Thank you guys so much for making this thing happen. Peace. <laughs>